Revelation 7, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 17 this morning. The title of our sermon is uh, just a question. Why do we make disciples? And the key words for our worshipers in training are salvation, throne, and Jesus. When Jesus is one of your key words, kids, you know, you, you're going to be making a lot of tick marks on that one, hopefully. About a year ago, uh, the, the elders and the deacons of Redeemer Baptist Church began reading through a book called The Vine Project. Uh, it is a, a follow-up book to uh, a book called The Trellis and the Vine. The idea of the trellis is that the church is fundamentally a disciple-making community. Jesus tells us, as we will see uh, more and more throughout this series that we are beginning this morning, he tells us uh, that we are to make disciples of all nations. We make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That is the commission given to the church the church with a big C, the global church. And it's the commission that each localized expression of that church, what we call local churches like this one here in Rankin, Georgia, this is the task that we have been given to fulfill until His coming. The way that we have conceptualized our specific calling at Redeemer Baptist Church to carry out the Great Commission can be found in our mission statement, which is readily available for your viewing pleasure right here on the front flap of this bulletin. Very easy to find and read as of this week. Redeemer Baptist Church is a family of faith that exists to worship God with joy, to love our neighbors, see transformed lives, and to send and be sent for the spread of the gospel through Jesus Christ. If you want to know what we are about here at RBC, that's it. In, in, in as short and succinct and as clear a way we could make it, that is the mission of this church. We are committed to unpack it just a bit. We're committed to the two great commandments, to love or worship God and to love our neighbors. And we're committed to discipleship. We want to see transformed lives as God works through us, to bring about the transformation of individuals in our homes, in in our community, and around the world as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Having spent a year in focused conversations, clarifying our convictions about discipleship, and about the way that we communicate our convictions about discipleship, the elders believe that now is a great time for us to set before you, the congregation, a clear and concise vision for what discipleship is here at Redeemer Baptist Church. Many of you have been here for years. Years and years. Some of you perhaps have been here for a few years or, or a few months or, or maybe this is just your, your first time. But whatever the case, our goal with this series that we've entitled Church on Mission, 
this, it's a five-part series. Our goal with it is that by the time we're done, that we will all have a, a, a renewed and clarified understanding and passion for making disciples of Jesus Christ. As I said, it's a five-part series. We're going to preach five sermons on the mission of the church. Each sermon seeks to answer a different question about discipleship, which is the mission of the church, to make disciples. So today's question, as I've already mentioned, is, is simply this. Why do we make disciples? Lord willing, in the next two weeks, I will answer the questions, what is a disciple, and then how are disciples made? Then on January 22nd, we're going to take a, actually a sort of a break, but not really, uh, for Sanctity of Life Sunday. But you can really think about that Sunday as a sermon that will be a, a, an important application of what it means to, to be disciples of Jesus in 2023 America. And then after that, we'll resume with two more weeks, with two more questions. Um, who is involved in the disciple-making process? And then uh, lastly, uh, one of our elders, Illumide, will wrap up the series with the question, where do we make disciples? So that's the plan. Why do we make disciples? What is a disciple? How are disciples made? Who's involved in this process of making disciples? And where do we make disciples? Today, we're answering the question, why? And it's important that we begin here. It's important that we begin with the question, why? Because we need a proper motivation for making disciples. Disciples. If we are going to persevere in this task and not peter out. Uh, as I, I, I mentioned during the, uh, the announcements, this, this, this sheet here, this discipleship manifesto that we wrote, um, it's one of the, one of the, the, the fruits of our, our labors in this Vine project. Uh, not just the elders and deacons, but, but several, several of the members have, have joined us for that as well. And, and I, I think it's, it's going to be very helpful to you, very helpful to us, uh, as we summarized here the basics of what we believe about discipleship here at RBC. So this is the, the shorthand version of what we're going to be covering in the next few weeks. And so I, I hope you uh, find that helpful to, to read through um, as we go. Uh, also, one other thing, kind of before we dive in, is that uh, our small groups, we're, we're going to, if you're in a small group, we're asking small groups to, to spend some time through in the month of January in particular, uh, discussing and pondering some questions uh, to help apply some of these things to our lives. And so um, we'll be sending out uh, an email, Dan will send out an email to, to small group leaders with those questions to help guide some conversation over the next few weeks. Um, and we, we're praying that these conversations would raise questions, would garner insights that we haven't, that we haven't had yet or we haven't asked yet. And so don't, don't hesitate to graciously push back and, and to make, make this uh, a better document. With all that being said, here's the gist of the answer for why we make disciples. We're committed to making disciples of Jesus because we want to extend the good news of His redemption, rescue, and transformation of the world to people all over the world so that as many people as possible are brought into fellowship with the triune God. To make that point this morning, 
I want to consider a few things with you from Revelation 7. Let me read verses 9 through 17, outline what we're going to do with it, and then we'll get to work. John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Three things I want you to consider with me from this text this morning as, as we ask this question, why make disciples? First, in verses 9-12, through 12, we will see that Christ is saving people from all over the world to join in the praise of happy voices around His throne. Second, in verses 13 and 14, we see that these people must endure suffering and are saved only by the blood of the Lamb. And third, in verses 15 through 17, we see the blessed end for all who persevere in their faith. In Jesus. So look with me in the first place then, verses 9 and 12, where we see that Christ is saving people from all over the world to join in his praise. Christ is saving a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages. And he is bringing them, John says, into the happy harmony of the host of heaven in singing his praise. On the one hand, you think about the question, why make disciples? You could answer the question this way. Why do we make disciples? Well, because Jesus told us to. That's why we make disciples. And in a sense, that's a perfectly good answer. We are servants of the King, and so we do what He says. But our King does not give us mere precepts expecting us to follow them blindly. No doubt we are expected to follow them in faith, but we don't follow them blindly. And so we, we could say we make disciples because Jesus has told us to make disciples, which according to Matthew 28, 18-20, he, he has clearly done. Told the church, told his church to make disciples. But it raises a question, why does Jesus tell us to make disciples? It's because rescuing sinners from all over the world 
is what he is doing, and it has pleased him to use those sinners whom he rescues as instruments in calling other sinners to himself. So, why we need something more than just because Jesus said so? That's fundamental answer number one. Number two is because Jesus is pleased to use us to bring in the full number that only God can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Now, we're in Revelation, Revelation 7, and it, and it should be said that there's some interpretive difficulty that comes with this book. I don't know that it's quite as difficult as, as some want to make it out to be, but it is a challenging book. There is no question about it. But I think if we can approach this text with this in mind, it will help. What is the main point of the book of Revelation? The main point is that Jesus Christ wins. And through him, so do his people, even through suffering. John writes Revelation to suffering Christians who are in need of assurance that God fights for them, that God is not against them, and ultimately, God will bring them to Himself. And so there are a lot of specifics about this book that are not easy to understand. But I do believe that we can all firmly grasp the main idea of the book. And so, even if we disagree about some of the the, the bits and pieces of it, and even if you disagree with some of the bits and pieces that I'm going to describe this morning leading up to, to Revelation 7, we can agree that the major point of the book and the major point of this passage is simple. God wins. And His people with Him. So, here's my lead-in to Revelation 7. Stated in, a, in an extremely succinct, perhaps even simplistic way. I hope not, but definitely succinct. In Revelation 4 and 5, we see John's vision of the coronation of the Lord Jesus after his resurrection in fulfillment of several Old Testament apocalyptic texts, namely Ezekiel 1 and 2 and Daniel 7. In Revelation 5, we see the, this lamb, right, this lion lamb, this lamb standing as though he had been slain, ascend to the throne as the only one in all of creation Worthy to open the scroll, to unveil and unroll God's mysterious plan of salvation. This lamb is both sovereign over creation and redemption and judgment. And this scroll that he's handed in chapter 5 verse 7 is opened in chapter 6 verse 1. Unveiling and un, uh, unleashing a series of, of plagues on the earth which describe in short the suffering of the church age from the ascension to the consummation. In chapter 7, we see that all believers are sealed by God and protected from losing their faith during these tribulations. And we see the saints in heaven around the throne joining in the praises of the Lamb already begun by the host of heaven. So, even if you... Uh, have some questions or pushback on some of that explanation of the flow up to this text 
in verse 9 in Revelation 7, there shouldn't be a lot of pushback on the description of verses 9 through 17, I don't believe. What we find here is the end goal. It is the point of it all. A a happy, countless multitude from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne of the Lamb, purified from their sins, full of joy, praising God for the salvation that He has wrought in the earth. And they aren't alone. The angels and the four living creatures and the elders are with them, praising and blessing God with glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Brothers and sisters, this is why we make disciples. This is it. We make disciples because we want to see this happy throng as big as it can be. And we know that it will be because God has promised it and we want to play our part. Jesse and I were talking this week about this text and she made a really great point. So probably the best point of this whole sermon is what I'm going to say next and it's from Jesse and not from me. So you're welcome. Um, She said this. She said, I usually hear the phrase, uh, every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, and I think, wow, what a spectacle. What a wonder that will be to see all of these people in heaven that I don't know. But then she said, but now I'm thinking, while there certainly will be people in heaven, a multitude, this vast number of people that I have no idea who they are, I have to introduce myself, which she will love, I've introduced myself to these strangers. She said, shouldn't I want to know as many of those people now as possible? Shouldn't I want to be involved in their life and in their journey to the celestial city as possible? In other words, when you get to heaven, don't you want to see people there? And do you want to think this? I don't know any of those people. Or do you want to get there and think this? Wow. There's Dan. And James. And Becky. And Kelly. There's Andrew and Tris. There's Josh and Russ. There's Ron. There's Wendy. Teresa and David. There's Michael and Eric and Ryan. There's Sally and Jesse. Look at all of these people that I had the privilege of knowing, the the blessing of being used in some small way as an instrument of God in their lives. Brothers and sisters, I pray that when, when that day comes, we won't only see countless faces that we don't know, but many, many faces that we do. Faces that are there in some real measurable way through our striving, our working, and our praying. We make disciples because we want to see people happy in God. And so that's the first point. Secondly, in verses 13 and 14, we see that the saints who are to be gathered around the throne on that great day must endure suffering and must be saved by the blood of the Lamb. 
one of the elders there asked John if he knows who this multitude is. He says, do you know who they are? Where they came from? What, what's their deal? And John admits, I don't. But you do. So the elder tells him that they are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. And they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So why do we make disciples? Because this world is filled with sin, suffering, and death. And there's only one way to be rescued from it. Through the death of the Lamb. There's only one way to conquer, and that's through suffering. We make disciples because we want to see people not just happy in God. We want that. But we want people who are sturdy. Who are empowered to endure suffering. To persevere and to come out purified and washed clean by the blood of Jesus. You know, this is something that we've said for a long time at this church. That for me as a pastor, for the elders, really one of our primary tasks in your lives is to help you prepare for suffering and death. And so by that logic, as we'll see as we go, if discipleship is disciples making disciples making disciples, that's your responsibility to one another as well. To prepare each other for suffering, sorrow, and eventually death. Suffering serves at least two basic functions in the world. For those who will not believe in Christ, suffering is akin to punishment for sin. A, a, a precursor, if you will, to the suffering that awaits for them in eternity for their rebellion against God and His law. For those who do and will love Christ, suffering is a purifying experience that purges us of our love of self and of our sinful thinking, loving, and willing. We make disciples because we want people to be purified through their suffering. To come through the great tribulation, the suffering in this life, all summed up in this phrase, great tribulation, and, and not to be consumed by it. I, I don't want you to be consumed by your suffering. We make disciples because we want people, as many people as possible, to have washed their, their, uh, washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Sort of an ironic picture. But the Scriptures deal in irony quite a bit. It is through the washing of blood, the blood of Jesus, that you are made clean. And it's important to understand that when we make disciples, we are inviting them into suffering. When you disciple someone, you are inviting that person into suffering. Discipleship is not an escape from suffering, but it is a transformation of suffering. Jesus is clear that to be his disciple is costly. He says, you want to be my disciple? You better count the cost. Don't start a war that you can't finish. Don't start building a house that you can't complete. He says, in fact, if you want to be my disciple... This is the cost. You must give up your claim on your entire life. Everything that you hold dear. Suffering is inevitable in this world. And suffering especially comes to those who are in this world but don't belong to this present world. 
Listen to the cry of God's people in Revelation 6. Just previous chapter, verses 9 and 10. The fifth, the fifth seal is open, and John sees under the altar the souls of those who, had been, those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Brothers and sisters, there is blood to be avenged, and Christ shall do it. But not yet. Not until the complete multitude is brought in. And we have this promise in verse 11. He will do it. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were killed as they themselves had been. God's people lose their lives in this world. Some of God's people lose their lives because of their faith. But Jesus is coming to the reckoning. And so we make disciples because we want the suffering in this world to be transformed for as many people as possible into purifying pain and not to be left as punishing pain. And lastly, on the second point, we make disciples because there is no other way through suffering. There's no other way but through suffering. There is no other way, and the only way through is through the Lamb. How do you come through the Great Tribulation? You come through it by having been washed white in the blood of Christ. So let me ask you this. Have your robes been washed white in the blood of the Lamb? Have you personally looked with faith to the Lord Jesus and so been cleansed from the corrupting power of sin? Have you looked to Jesus and so been rescued from the condemning power of sin? Have you looked to Jesus in the expectant hope of being delivered from the crushing presence of sin? If not, I pray that you would. Pray that you would do that now and receive eternal life from the Lamb once slain. Thirdly, verses 15 through 17, we see the blessed end for all who persevere in the faith. There are two things in particular that I want to note with you from these verses here. The end of God, the, the end. For God's people is this. This multitude, this countless multitude, lives and serves in the very presence of God forever. And two, this multitude will be rescued from every ache, every pain, every sorrow, and every sadness in this fallen world that this fallen world has to offer them. So, why do we make disciples? We make disciples because we want to see people from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages enjoying this blessed end. Why is it, as we saw in verses 9-12, through 12, that this multitude has gathered around the throne? What's to sing praises to God? Why are they singing praises to God? It's because of what we read here. 
Christ has saved them and has promised to, to dwell with them and in them. He will be their God and they will be His people. He will provide all that they need. They shall neither hunger nor hurt. And the tears that they shed in this life through the great tribulation will be wiped away. The Lamb will be their shepherd forever. So let me ask you this. Are you lonely? Christ offers you Himself. He will shelter you in His presence. He calls you to join this this multitude around the throne. This multitude of, of priests serving in His temple and serve Him with a glad heart and enjoy His fellowship forever. Are you hungry or thirsty? Are you without? Are you empty? Are you aching for more? Christ offers you streams of living water in verse 17. Are you hurting? Are you beat down? Are you burnt to a crisp by the sin and suffering of this world? Christ offers to be your guide and to wipe away every tear from your eyes. So brothers, sisters in Christ, another question to ask ourselves is what about the lonely, the hungry, hurting people in our lives? If we have been met with the friendship of God, if we have been met with the food of God, if we have been met with the the healing of God, what about the people that we know that haven't been? What about the people in your homes the people in your neighborhoods, the people in your places of work or recreation? Are we eager to share Christ with them? It doesn't have to be quite as complicated, I think, as we often make it. We often think about the idea of, of, of evangelizing people and evangel, um, yeah, evangelizing people. We, we think about that as, as often going out into the, the streets, perhaps, passing out tracts, getting into heated debates with people, often you know, deep, philosophical, complex arguments for the existence of God or something like that. Now, I think there, there is, certainly is a place for that, and some of us should do that. And if that's exciting to you, there's a, there's a way forward. There's a way to serve in that capacity. And we'll get to that later, but for now, I want to draw our attention back to, to John and, and what he what he wrote, wrote somewhere else. And it's something I briefly mentioned last night. So if you were here with us for our, uh, our New Year's Eve bash, this isn't exactly a repeat of that, but a, a quick summary of that. If you weren't here, here's what I mentioned last night from John chapter 1. John the Baptist engaged in the discipleship process simply by calling others to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so just to repeat the call from last night, Whose gaze this year, this week, this month, might you direct to the slain and resurrected Lamb? Who in your life might you tell about Jesus and what He's done for you? Who in your life might you invite to church so that they would hear the gospel of God? Who in your life might you pray for, asking God to open their 
eyes that they might be brought into this happy throng with you. Brothers and sisters, that's why we make disciples. Because we want to see people happy in God. Because it is the disciples of Jesus alone who will not be consumed by the suffering in this world. And because it is the disciples of Jesus alone who will have Jesus forever. We're going to come together to the Lord's Supper in a moment. Uh, But before we do that, I want to mention the song that we're going to sing in closing. Crown him with many crowns. Here's the last verse. Crown him the Lord of years, the potentate of time, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. Thy praise shall never, never fail throughout eternity. If you don't know, Uh, The word potentate is uh, simply another word for strong ruler. So Christ is the strong ruler of time. But he's also said here to be ineffably sublime, which means that he is holy beyond comprehension. So there it is. This song that we're about to sing in in a few minutes, it's the praise to this strong ruler of time who is holy beyond comprehension. And his praise is noted, it shall never never fail. And here's the first verse. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. So why do we make disciples? We make disciples because there is a song being sung to the Lamb upon His throne right now. And it is growing louder and louder with every passing day. Moment by moment, the song gets louder and fuller. If you listen carefully, you can just about hear it. The voices of the host of heaven and the multitude of saints saved by grace grow stronger, deeper, fuller, and more beautiful than anything you have ever heard. We make disciples because one day there will only be one song to sing. And we want as many people singing that song as God will be pleased to save. Well, amen.